Now, what I was teaching you last week, and I'm going to wrap it up this week. I was actually going to start on fear today, but I'm going to move that. But what I was teaching about is about suffering, no more suffering. How do I close the gap in suffering? Now, I'm not saying that you won't ever suffer, but the key is how long will you suffer? You see, some people suffer for days, weeks, months, years. Over certain things, we suffer for decades sometimes. And what I want you to realize is because of God's plan and God's purpose for your life and what he's put in you and through the Holy Spirit, you can end your suffering. The key is how long will it take for you to end it? So in our, in our life that we're living, so when, when, when I, let me talk to you first of all, what is suffering? So suffering is, we look at it as when a, a loved one passes away and we go through suffering. We look at it when there's a great tragedy happened to our family, happened to us personally, maybe our health, a great tragedy in our health, and we look at that as suffering. But, but I want to challenge you in this fact, suffering is a lot more, those are the big things we look at and face, and a lot of times we'll pray more, we'll be more locked into God, we'll be more locked into things when the big stuff happens. It's all those little things that we suffer over that are so dangerous. You know, whenever we've, you know, been believing for a great job and a family, and all of a sudden we got a great job and a family, but now we kind of get going along in life and stuff starts happening, and, and, and you know, 10 years prior when you were believing for that great career, that great family, uh, if you were, if someone would have said 10 years later, this is where you'll be personally, this is where your family will be, this is where you'll be financially, you would have just been ecstatic, like, wow, it's really happened. But somewhere along the way, the last few years, you got used to it, and now it's kind of ordinary, and things are not lining up. Maybe you didn't advance as quickly as you thought you should, or maybe you didn't uh, get that last promotion or financial increase you thought you should, or maybe work's just so tough and so stressful now, that job you were praying and believing for, now it's just becoming so stressful. And what happens? We don't give thanks. And when we don't give thanks, we don't have gratitude. And when we don't have gratitude, and appreciation, it's easy to move over into suffering. Those kids that you were believing for and praying for, now you suffer over the fact that they're not maybe measuring up to what you thought they should measure up to. Or maybe you're suffering over the fact that, well, you know, they're doing great things in the world, but I wish they were closer to God. Or maybe you're suffering the fact that they just don't do things the way you would do, or they don't raise their kids the way you would raise it. And it just stress. You know, another good word for suffering, it's an S word. It's stressing. So when you're stressing, you're really suffering. So when we're walking through life and we're just stressing over this and we're stressing over that, what are we really doing? We're taking on the components of suffering. And when we take on the components of stress and suffering, we look at the big sufferings and we kind of get all prepared for that and sometimes we don't even come through that. And and we go through grieving and grieving is a natural process and we need to do that for a season. But what about all the suffering we go through with stress in our life to where we miss out on the joy? We miss out on the fruit of the accomplishment. We miss out on the fruit of being on this planet, being alive, and and, and able to walk out the things that God has for us. So as we look at this, I'm going to get into Joseph here again in a moment. Before I do, I want to give you a little, little bit of a review, and that's this. Suffering is a choice. 
Suffering is a choice. It's always an option, but it's never a requirement. Suffering is a choice. It's always an option, but it's never a requirement. Any day, you can suffer because you got 80% of a goal met versus 100, and you can regret, and you can beat yourself up, and you can like, what happened? Why didn't that work out the way I thought it should? Or maybe you didn't get picked for something, or maybe friends did something without you, and but they do stuff with you 90% of the time, but this one time you didn't get invited, and you don't understand why. See, the one of the number one reasons we suffer is because we don't realize that we have a choice not to suffer. And another reason we suffer is because of the meaning we give events in our life. The meaning we give to what people say to us or what we believe people think about us or the meaning to what really happened, whether some action or, or some situation or some circumstance. But what I want you to realize, when God created you in his own image and his own likeness and put you in dominion of the earth to go forth and to subdue, to be in charge of fish, of sea, the fowl, the air, and all the creeping things, as it says, that we've been made in his image, his likeness. He is spirit, right? God is spirit. And he is God. He is the creator of all things, especially people. Therefore, we, take, we are to take on his nature and his purpose and his plan in the earth. And anytime we get away from that blueprint or that pattern, we're downgrading our lives. We're downgrading our authority. We're downgrading our opportunities that, that God created us because every one of us was created for a purpose and God put you on this planet on purpose. And when you live by purpose rather than your living conditions, rather than your situations, rather than your circumstances, then what happens is you rise above the stress. You rise above the suffering and the trials. You see, when God created us in his image and likeness in Genesis 1, and he said, I've created both male and female in our own likeness, have we created them? Just think about it. He created you and I, male and female, in his likeness, in his imago, in his image, with his desires, his authority, his power, all of these things now what is that that's the blueprint that's the blueprint but then Adam and Eve did what they betrayed God sinned what they really do they gave their authority over to Satan they took the authority God had given them to be in dominion to procreate and all that and they gave it over to Satan and because God is a man of his word and he cannot lie he had to honor their decision that's why we had to have the second Adam Jesus come right to reestablish our covenant and our relationship with him. But he said, the moment that you partake of the tree of, eat of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, what you shall surely die. Now he wasn't just talking about physical death. Because true death is to be separated from God. That's what death is. To be separated from God. And so what happened is it took them, oh, seven or eight hundred years for Adam to die. Physically after this. But his spirit immediately went into a state of death that he was no longer in communion or fellowship with God and from that point of the curse that was on him not what God did see God made us a, a choice a, a free will we call it a free will moral agent right we, we are a decision and Adam and Eve had that same free will to make a decision if he didn't want to make a decision he wouldn't have had to allow the tree of knowledge of good and evil to be in the, the garden so they didn't even know what sin was. They didn't even know what evil was. Remember, as soon as they partook of it, what did they do? They had to get dressed. They were naked. They hid. And what I want you to understand is this original blueprint that God created us in is so amazing. 
And it has such an amazing standard of life. And it's living above fear. It's living above death. It's living above poverty. It's living above racism and all this goofy stuff going on in our country with politics and all that. It's so, living so far above that. I talked to you last week. I said, you know, if you're, you, we're called to be eagles, right? Not turkeys, not birds. But if you're down here flying around and you keep running into the, you keep rear-ending a sparrow and keep rear-ending a duck and keep rear-ending a bunch of turkeys... <laughs> then you're below your standard. God called you to soar with eagles. You are an eagle. And every one of us have a blueprint. Think about the blueprint of birds. Birds have a blueprint, what? To fly. They don't run, but they fly. They can hop, but they fly. Fish were built with a blueprint, right? To, to, To be able to swim and to live underwater, right? So everything God created, he created on purpose for a purpose. Our plant life is here for a purpose, right? To give oxygen and different things and food and so on. So everything on this planet has a purpose. So why would you not have a purpose? Why would God create you by accident? So whenever we understand that and we begin to live according to our purpose, what does it do? It advances us to a whole nother place, a whole nother mindset. We're no longer living with the mindset of a turkey but we start thinking and dreaming like an eagle. Amen. You know, I love what Johnny said because we'd preached on this for probably close to two months about raising your standard. Remember, raise your standard and we went into closing the gap. And, and, and as Johnny said, I know probably about when he was challenged to do that. For about a month, he had to look, read, pray about raising his standard. So you, he chose to raise his standard in the area of his giving, of his generosity. And what did God do? He did what he designed to do for Johnny in Malachi 3. He said, if you'll not rob me with your tithes and offerings, I will open up the windows of heaven to pour out blessings on you that there's not room enough to contain. What he said, blessings is not just money. Blessings is health and good relationships and joy and peace and victory. So when we begin to understand the blueprint of God and we begin to live according to God's blueprint and the way he designed us, what happens now? Now we live above what I call turkey living. You know what turkey living is? That's living according to my living conditions. According to the conditions of what's around me. When I set the standard of my life to be just a little better than the person next to me. Well, you know, that's good if you're escaping a bear. Because all you need to be is a little faster than the person next to you, right? Just a little faster. But it's not good to accomplish your eternal destiny. To accomplish your eternal destiny, you got to look so far above. And you're not comparing yourself to people. You're comparing yourself to the image of God. You're comparing yourself to the DNA or the blueprint in which he made you for. It says in Genesis to go forth to subdue, to take over, to have dominion. God didn't call you to be on the sidelines having a safe life. He called you to subdue, to take over, and to have dominion. That's why I always say about every service, greater is he who is in me than he who's in this world. Why is that? That I keep confessing and reminding myself of that because that's the truth about me. Now, I could say, you know, greater he is in me than most things going on. You know, I didn't get this need met and that situation's not clear yet. I still got some stress over here in this area. And before long, I not only go down with the turkeys, I'm bringing God's standard down with the turkeys. What is that, Josh? That's suffering. That's stress. So anytime I go against the blueprint of God, what he designed me for, I bring myself into a place of suffering. Then suffering can turn into grief. It can turn into offense or whatever. So as we look at that and we begin to think about it, there's three things 
that really three thoughts, three things that we face that, that, that really enhance suffering in our life. The first thing is this, that the first thought that causes suffering is what? Loss. Anytime there's a loss in my life or the illusion of loss, because loss isn't loss until you've already lost it. Really, loss is the illusion of loss. What happens if I lose this person in my life? What happens if I lose this job? What happens if I lose this position? What happens if I lose this health battle I'm fighting? So what happens is when we have loss or the illusion of loss and we give meanings to things as though we've lost. Well, what if you didn't lose a job, but you were fired or released from a job, but later on you accomplished more and had a way better, more career, job, an increase, and a happier life just because if you'd never quote, lost the job, you'd still be in the job, but now you're at a whole new level in your life. Now, it didn't look like it, and it didn't feel like it. You see, you can't fail if you learn. You can't fail if you learn, because what happens is what the world says you failed, but what God says, you just learned another way not to do it. Now, try again. Oh. Try again. So, so, so you don't lose, you learn. And so loss or the illusion of loss is one of those thought processes we live in when we're not walking out in a life suffer free, free of suffering. The second one is less. When it's less than I thought it should be, when things turned out less than what I thought they would, you know, people invest in my life less than they should. I get less than I should. It's not, you know, everything's less. And what happens is that's not the way God created. God didn't create you to focus on loss and less. He created you to focus on more and more and, than enough. Right. Not just enough, but more and more than enough. He's a God that's more than enough God. He's not a God that's just a little bit of less or, or a lost God. And then the third thing, that, that thought that really gets in our mind and, and enhances suffering is the word never. Never. Well, it happened for them, but it could never happen for me. Never happened for anybody in my family. Or it's, How could that happen for me? They're talking about I could actually do this and accomplish this, but no one in my family has ever done anything like that. Right. I don't even know anyone. I don't even have any friends in my friend circle that's ever done anything like that ever. They've never done it. Well, then that, that means that you need to get up with the eagles. Come on. That means you need to increase your friend circle. When I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about proximity is power, you're the sum total average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Quiet, quiet in the house today. So you and I are the ones that determine the story we write for our lives. Are we going to live in a story of suffering of, well, you know, it hadn't worked out for me. Well, you know, it seems like every time I get excited, something bad happens. And, and you live that story. So when you live in that story, that's where you stay emotionally. Now, let's, let's get into Genesis here. I want to get into this, and I want to talk to you about suffering is a choice, part two, I guess. Suffering is a choice. And when I say no more suffering, what I'm talking about, I'm not saying you won't ever suffer. I'm just saying learn how to stop suffering. Now, a few things we learned just in the opening, how to not suffer, not to focus on loss, less, or never. That shouldn't even be in our vocabulary that we ever lost anything or anyone, it should never be in our vocabulary that, well, I only have less, I live less, I get less. And, and never should never be in our vocabulary. Why? Because all things are possible to who? Believe. Them that believe. All things are possible to them that believe. So how could it never happen for 
you. It can only happen for you, never happen for you if you don't come into agreement with the blueprint for which you were created. If you're going to allow your living conditions to determine your life, that's where you'll live there or a little lower. But when you say, wait a minute, that's my living conditions. That's what's going on around me. But Chris, that's not what God called me to. He called me above these conditions. Therefore, I'm going to focus and put my attention on what God said about me and what God wants me to accomplish. That's why faith without sight, right? We can have faith without, we can see things that we can't see. We can hear things that we can't hear. We can know things that we don't even know because we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by the sight I'm living in. Not by the sight of the living conditions, but I walk by faith in what God said about me. I walk in faith about the purpose he created me for, why I'm on this planet and what he wants me to do. So when I say no more suffering, what I'm really saying is learn how to stop the suffering. Learn how to stop. Because remember, where your focus goes is where your energy flows. So if I focus on loss, I focus on never, you know, I focus on failure, what happens then? Then I lose the spiritual momentum in my life. I lose that spiritual momentum, my faith, my power, my anointing uh, that's in me. So now let's look here at Joseph for a few moments. And I want to get into this today with you and wrap it up. So... In Genesis 37, it begins to talk about Joseph's and the dreams that he had uh, that he shared with his father and stuff. So it's a familiar story, uh, but let me set it up for you. So he was 17 years old in Genesis 37, and he had 10 older brothers, one younger brother. He was the beloved son of his father because he was one of the last two born, and and Jacob had great confidence and love for him, and therefore it brought a lot of hatred and bitterness between his siblings, his other brothers, and so on. Now, in 37, I'm not going to read it, but verses one, I did last week, verses 1 through 11, we see that Joseph, I mean, Jacob had really favored Joseph, and Joseph had these older brothers, and one day he, he, he had a dream, and when he had his first dream, it was, he shared it with his brothers, and it was about his brothers bow, bowing down and worshiping him. Then later on, he had a second dream. The second dream was not only was his brothers worshiping him, but his father and all of his father's household, which really, that, that is the 12 tribes of Israel in Jacob's household. So it was really the whole nation bowing down to worship Joseph. The Bible calls Joseph the dreamer. Well, you know, I'd rather be a dreamer than, than a doubter because a dreamer has hope. A dreamer has a chance, but a doubter doesn't. And so out of that, what happened? One day, the, the, his father, his, the sons were out in a, a, an area taking care of their flocks and so on. And he sent Joseph out to, 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 to find out to make sure they're safe, they're okay, and if they needed anything. And when they saw him coming, they conspired to kill him. And then finally, one of the brothers convinced him, let's don't kill him, let's just throw him in a pit. So he threw him in a pit where normally you would try to catch a lion or a beast that was trying to take your sheep or something. There was nothing in there. One of the brothers, Reuben, which became the tribe of Reuben later, uh, he was like, don't kill him, don't bring blood. And he, he went out to check on something. Well, while he was out checking on something because he didn't want to bring a curse on him, all of a sudden these uh, slave traders come up the road and they say, hey, instead of killing him, and, and it was Judah, Judah's idea, the praiser. Isn't that something? The tribe of the praise, right? Judah said, uh, hey, instead of killing him, because that could bring reproach on us, he's in the pit. Why don't we just sell him to those slave traders? And he's off our hands. It's, It's fixed, right? He tried to fix the situation. 
And so, so that's what they did. When Reuben got back, he was tearing his clothes. He was like, oh my goodness, what'd you do? Well, these slave traders took him to Egypt and he was in the pit. They took him to Egypt and they sold him to Potiphar, a very wealthy man that was one of the second or third in charge under the Pharaoh of Egypt. But now what's interesting, while Joseph was in this pit, think about it, he could have just sat there and suffered and had such a horrible attitude, right? Wouldn't any of us? My brothers hate me so bad that, you know, first they're teasing me or tricking me, being mean to me. Now they've given me into slavery, into another country where I don't speak the language. I'm gonna be separated from my family. I could be abused. I could be murdered, whatever. Things doesn't look good. But there was something in Joseph. I'll tell you what was in Joseph. The dream that God gave him, the vision that God gave him for his life was greater than his living conditions, was greater than his circumstances. You see, when God's purpose and God's vision is greater in you and more real to you than your living conditions, than your circumstances, that's when you can stop suffering even when you're in the pit. Even when you're in pit, pit, the pit of, of uh, being abandoned, even when you're in the pit of rejection, even when you're in the pit of pain and disease and sorrow, even when you're in the pit of brokenheartedness, whatever that pit is, financial failure or whatever, uh, bankruptcy, you know, uh, going through a divorce, whatever it is that you're in the pit that in your life, right then in that pit, if you will not focus on loss, never, and what was the other one? Less. And if you would take your attention off what I don't have, what I should have, what I used to have, and you get your mind on what the vision for your life is, the purpose that God has for you, the plan that God has for your life, now all of a sudden your faith rises up and you have hope and expectancy. Expectancy is the breeding ground of miracles. And I can't operate in faith without expectancy, without anticipation, without hope. And when I come into that place in my life that I focus on what God said about me, then all of a sudden my anointing rises to that level. When I focus on what God's plan is for my life, my anointing is up here with the eagles, even though I'm battling the turkeys. But someday I'll be with the eagles. Why? Because the blueprint that God put in every one of you is to desire him. And it's funny when you even listen to atheists how sad it is they try to prove God's not real by the Bible and other things and all this stuff. And, and they're just trying to prove that he's not real and all that. We know what an atheist is. They, they deny that God exists. But the problem is the church is full of a bunch of practical atheists. Mm, wow. mm. Come on. You know what a practical atheist is? <laughs> a practical atheist is I acknowledge God is God and he is real, but my life doesn't resemble it. I, I believe God is a God of faith and prosperity and salvation and healer and deliverance, but I, I don't practice it in my life because I practice my life and I live according to my conditions. I live according to the doctor's diagnosis. I live according to what, you know, history has said about me. I live according to what other people say about me. I, I live according to what, what those people in my life and what the, the, the results that I've gotten so far, I can take the apostasis and say, but wait a minute, that's a practical atheist because the Bible says by his stripes you were healed. The Bible says that, that faith is what? Knowing and trusting God. Faith is knowing and trusting him. So, so what happens is, is either I'm living by faith, I'm living by my kingdom authority, I'm living as a son or daughter of God or I'm not. So really there's areas of our life we practice like an atheist. 
In other words, we don't even involve God in those areas, right? That's too much. It's almost like I don't want to be, well, honey, why don't you believe for your healing? You go to the doctor and everything, but, but well, honey, I, I'm one of my doctors. It's God's will to heal me. It's God's will. If it's not, it's not. Wait, he said in 1 Peter 2, 24, by his straps you were healed. So, yeah, it's his will to heal you. Let me uh, Jesus was asked one time in Matthew's gospel, chapter 8, from the leper, is it your will to heal me? He said, be thou made whole. He was healed instantly right there. The only time Jesus was asked. So if it wasn't his will to heal, he shouldn't have healed the leper. See, see, you got to settle. Am I going to go by what's happened to other family members? Am I going to go to what, what the, everybody's saying is going to happen to me? Or in other words, am I going to live by facts, which are not lies, if they're accurate, or truth? Know the truth and the truth will set you free. Know the truth Jesus is the truth, the life, right? And therefore, he is the truth. And if I, if I know him and go by what he says, it trumps facts. It can change the facts. Come on, come on. But we suffer because we live by the facts that surround us. So, so Joseph, he had some decisions to make. And, and he had some decisions to make to determine, am I going to live by what God said about me, what his purpose is for my life, or am I going to live by what this pit's telling me. The pit's saying it's dark. The pit's saying any time a dangerous animal could fall in it. The pit's saying there's no hope for you. Then all of a sudden he thinks he gets some hope, they're drawing him out and they take him off into slavery. Now what does Joseph do with that? Joseph came out of the pit and he probably suffered for a while, but obviously he came out with a good enough attitude that they thought, we could, this guy's pretty sharp. We could probably sell him to a real rich person and get a lot of money out of him. Let's take him to that Potiphar dude in Egypt. And so then they take him to the Potiphar, and we see in Genesis 39, uh, they take him to Potiphar. And when they take him to Potiphar, Potiphar's like, yeah, I want that guy. Yeah. So if he had a bad attitude and was suffering in so much pain, why would Potiphar want a weak one, an impotent one, a sick one? No, he wanted the best, right? They had to bring the best to Potiphar. He was the big wealthy guy in Egypt. So you don't bring, you know, a turkey, <laughs> right, or a sparrow. You bring an eagle to, to, to him, right? Now, now, what is the whole key to this is what Joseph did is something every one of you could do in any situation in your life, but you got to choose to because you are a decision. You're, you're the sum total of every decision you've ever made. Now, what is that? Joseph traded his expectation for appreciation. Joseph traded his expectation for appreciation. How can I be depressed if I, unless I didn't meet an expectation? If I got certain expectations that I should be living at, accomplishing, doing, and, and the way you get depressed or suffer from that is when you don't meet those expectations. And the expectations usually are not set by God and his standards. They're usually set by how you were raised and who modeled life for you. Right. A lot of times you marry the people you hate because you hated your parent and you marry someone just like them and then you're miserable and you make them miserable and then you... She said, hey, man, hey, come on now. Come on now, I'm preaching now. Right? So, 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 so we wonder why we're so miserable, and a lot of times we're miserable because that we are living according to expectation. And remember, your expectation isn't close to what God's expectation is for you. Your dream isn't close to what God dreamed for you. And when we stop living by expectation, that doesn't mean you don't have goals, you don't plan. Yeah, you do. You have goals, you plan, you do all that. But you've got to learn to have appreciation. So, so Joseph in that pit was probably saying, I'm in this pit. 
you know, my brothers, he's got to give a meaning to that, right? My brother's just mad at me. They're a little jealous right now. They'll get over it. But at least I'm not dead. They were talking about killing me. I'm alive. And so we can all make up and get along. Then he comes out and then it's like, okay, you know, you've been sold into slavery. Okay. Now he could say, wow, this really stinks. And I'm sure he was upset for a while, but probably along his way, his journey, he started being a Christian saying, you know, they could have killed me. I could have been dead or a lion could have came into that pit. I could be done. But right now I'm alive. You know, when you're in your pit, be thankful you're breathing. When you're in your pit, be thankful you can put a thought together. When you're in your pit, be thankful you're still alive. There's still hope. There's still opportunity. You haven't failed. You just learned. Right? Yeah. So, so here he is. So now he's, he's coming into this situation, right? He's coming into this situation. And he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, now he's walking along the road and they're taking him. He doesn't know where they're taking him to. They're taking him to Potiphar's house. But I want to read to you. Once he starts serving Potiphar, look in Genesis 39, just the first five verses. And it says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of the Lord, uh, Pharaoh, <clears throat> captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him for the Ishma, from, the, from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph. See, I want you to realize even in your pit, the darkest times, the Lord's with you. He said he'll never leave you or forsake you. He's with you. He's with you in the midst of your, tri- midst of your trial. He's what you would consider a failure. He's there right in the middle of it with you. So he was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, look, and he was a successful man. Huh. You see, Joseph was successful before he got in Potiphar's house. When Joseph was in the pit, he was successful. You say, well, I don't think so, preacher. He's in the pit, you know. No, he was successful. Why? Because God was with him. See, see, you underestimate God. You bring God down to your living conditions. You, you think God is like your friend that betrayed you, right? If God really loved me, I wouldn't be stressed right now. No, you're stressed because you gave a definition to what's going on in your life and you made it bigger than God. That's why you're stressed. You can't be afraid of something unless you put a meaning to it. You know, a little baby going to run across a four-lane street, it's not afraid. It's never seen an accident or, or, or death, right? So, so what happens is, you know, a little kid might run and jump off a cliff because they think it's going to be fun. They might think they can fly. But you know what? What about the one that never gets close to the cliff? What about the one that never takes a chance? What about the one that took a chance, got burned and failed, and now they just live their whole life in stress, fear, and depression. So the reason Joseph was successful before he got to Potiphar was because God was with him. See, you got, when you're a child of God, you got God with you. The only thing that's available is great possibilities because God is with you. And, and God was with him and the Lord made, and, and, what, and the Lord what? Made all he did prosper in his hand. What, 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 what. He didn't say, and the Lord was with him, Miss Gwen, and made him prosper. See, faith without action is dead. That's what James said, right? It said, all that he did. That means you got to do something. Yeah, but I'm in this pit. I can't do anything. I can't see. You know what you can do? You can think differently. You can stop thinking like a turkey and start thinking like an eagle. What do you mean? Instead of sitting here thinking like, well, look at me. I've lost everything. I'm a failure. I'll never get out of this pit. I'll be in this pit till I die. You know, someday I'll get to go to hell. You, you, you can live like that. Or you can live like an eagle. 
And you can say all things are possible to them who love God, who believe in God. I am. God, God not only do I believe in him, God is with me. God is in me right now. And with God on my side, I can't lose. I'm going to accomplish. I'm somehow, something's going to happen in my favor. It may not even look like my favor, but it's what happens. So what I'm going to do is just sit here in this pit and begin to praise God. What's praise? Appreciation. What did Paul and Silas do in the jail? They praised God and the chains broke off, Right? What did David do when he was in sin and repented and weeped and thought he was a dead man? He began to praise God for deliverance and for forgiveness. You see, what you got to learn is whether you make a mistake or don't or someone else does, find a way to give appreciation. Give appreciation for God. Give appreciation for the opportunity you're on this planet. Give the appreciation that you can be a lesson so someone else doesn't have to go through what you did. You can lead others so they never have to face it. You can always find the right meaning. Appreciation is attaching the right meaning to the result you want. Uh, so, so then look what he says here. How much, how much time I got? How am I doing? So uh, says after that, it says, not only he made all things he did prosper, what? In his hand. And God said, if you want it to happen in your life, you got to be in God, but you got to do things. You got to try it. A lot of times we're waiting for God to tell us stuff. What are you waiting on, man? First of all, how are you going to wait when, when God's already given you a vision? If, if God's already said, greater is he who's in you and he's in the world, God's already said, join my mission, my co-mission, win the lost, right? Lay hands on the sick, they will recover, cast out devils and all this, and go preach the gospels, and, and they'll be confirmed by signs following you. You're looking for a sign, and God called you to be the sign. You're looking for what you is. You is the sign. And you're waiting, well, Lord, when you, God's up there like, my goodness, dude, you're, you are my son. What are you waiting on? You is the son. And when you begin to understand that and you begin to realize then it gives you the opportunity to step out. And you say, yeah, but what if I miss it? So what? Then you learn another way not to do it. Now, God, uh, uh, you know, uh, God has certain laws, right, that he set up. Gravity is a law. What goes up, what is going to come down, whether you like it or not. He, has, he set up the law of seasons changing, summer, winter, fall, all that, spring. Every year it's going to happen. Set up the law of the rainbow, all that, the covenant of the rainbow. So God has covenants, God has laws. Why? The laws are not there to judge you. The laws are there to protect you and keep you in the flow of who he called you to be. So God didn't set you up to be a turkey. He don't make turkeys. He made them. But, but his sons and daughters are not turkeys, we're eagles, right? And so he created us to be like an eagle. It's like an elephant that they'll take in a circus, an elephant, and when it's a little baby elephant, which is not little, but a small baby elephant, they'll put it on a stake that can hold them with a chain. And then what happens is the older that thing gets, the stake holds it long enough till the elephant gets a, a little closer in its age to where it just gives up thinking, I can't break that. But then when the elephant's full grown, it could tear that stake up, rip the tent, do everything down. It could rip a cage open. It's a, a monster, right? Huge strength. But it doesn't because it still thinks it's a baby. Wow. Yes. Yes. And it doesn't pull. It doesn't pull. What do you do when you break a horse? Right? You break a horse, they get on there and they bucket, ride it, do all that stuff. But really, it only comes to a point, and then why doesn't the horse do, do that later to them? Trick them and get them. Why? Because the horse wasn't designed. It was designed to believe certain things. And when certain laws overtake the laws of its belief, yes, it's bound. Oh, you know. When the laws of your conditions take over your belief, 
You're bound. You're limited by what you believe. See, I can say greater is he is in me than he is in this world, but if I don't believe it, it don't really matter. So you, you, you can say all these things about God and what he can do and what he has done, but if you are limited by what you believe, not what Dalton believes, not even what God believes, not even about what your peers believe, you are limited by what you believe. And if you live according to the standards of what you believe, now, is, is it bad to believe? No, it's good to believe. You just want to believe the right stuff. So how do I know I'm believing wrong, Josh? If I'm getting the wrong results. If I'm getting the wrong results, i got to try to change my belief. Because if my belief is not growing, then I'm capped. Right? So as, as we look at this, guys, what, what is this? So a lot of times what we're caught up in is our living conditions and letting it set our belief system. Now, now what else does it say there? It, said, uh, it says in verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight. Who? Potiphar's sight. And served him and then made him overseer of the house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. Now, so from that time that he made Joseph, what, the overseer of his house and all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. So, see, that's why proximity is power. You want people in your life that you're a blessing to them and they're a blessing to you. We're blessings because we're connected together. We can be a blessing to each other, to God and to others. But favor came on the Egyptian's house who wasn't even a child of God. You know, there's secular companies that put pastors on just to pray for their staff and lead their staff and they prosper greatly and they don't even really care that much about God. They just realize there's a certain principle in law. If I can help these Christians in their belief system or even help people that are not Christians and get some help, our business will be more productive. God can even bless an, a, a non-believer if they'll operate by his laws. See, when he blessed God's kid, God blessed him. When he promoted God's kid, God promoted him. So, so he served him. What did he do? And he made him overseer. So it was in verse five from that time. It was from that time uh, that he made him overseer of his house. Look now. And the Lord blessed and blessed the Egyptians' houses, house for Joseph's sake. And, he, and the blessing of the Lord was on what all he had in the house and in the field. So he blessed him personally and corporately in his business. Yeah. Because of one relationship. What if you had five relationships like that? Yeah. That's one. Now, in verses 6 through 11 here, it talks about Potiphar's wife. Now, Potiphar's wife, when, when, when Potiphar was gone, he would, put, uh, he would put Joseph in charge. Joseph's already in charge. And it says when she was trying to put the move on Joseph, and he told her the first time there, he said, look, he said, Potiphar has trusted me with everything. He's given great provision to you, giving you everything you want, desire, and need. He's blessed me to where I am the number two in his house. Everything under his house, even caring for you, everything is under my authority. When Potiphar, I stand in his steed when he's not here. You know, a lot of people think it was lust because she kept trying and trying and trying to seduce him. But I think it was her belief system. Because if she wanted something, she would find the most prosperous person and seduce them. Obviously, she seduced the, the, what was his name, Potiphar, because she didn't care about him because she's trying to cheat on him with Joseph in her own house. 
But I believe it wasn't the fact, yeah, it says Joseph was handsome and all that, but I believe it was the fact she thought, well, I got number one under my control. I need to get number two under my control, and then I'm really in control, so I got to seduce this kid. When she found out he would not sell out his values of serving like he was supposed to serve, she realized I can't win him, so I got to get him out of the picture, and that's when she set him up like he raped her, right? And then the, the scripture is this. Uh, what is that one verse where it says, da 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 Joseph asked the question in one of the verses there between 6 and 15. And he said this. He said, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God when Pharaoh challenged him? How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against him? He didn't say sin against you, Pharaoh, or hurt your wife. Because that wasn't his standard. That's right. God. That, that, that's turkey stuff. His standard was at the highest point with eagles. The eagle, God. And his standard was what God thought about it, what God's opinion was, not what Pharaoh or what uh, Potiphar or what the wife or anyone else thought. He said, so how could I do that? Because I'm really coming against God. And why would he say that? Because he was living by God's principles and laws. God's principles and laws. You see, when you live by popularity, you die by popularity. But when you live by principles, you leave a legacy. When you live by popularity, you die by popularity. But when you live by principle, you leave a legacy. Joseph was more important to his legacy. Now, he lived by God's principles in the pit. He lived by God's principles now over here in, in, in Potiphar's house. And now he's falsely accused, and he has a choice. He's going to jail now, right? Potiphar's putting him in jail. He had a choice of how he was going to live now. So I want you to realize principles and laws. Well, God wants me to abstain from sex before I'm married. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons. Ask some folks out here that's got kids before they get married, and they, now they can't be the father they need to be to their kids, and they're supporting those kids while they're trying to support their family that they're over and then the, the man is always broken and torn because he has to either ignore or he can't do it or he can only do partially what he would like to do for his other kids. Ask him if he could go back now and change that because he don't feel he can fulfill his responsibilities. You see, there's lots of reasons that you don't go do what you do. And remember, when it's a principle that God has, it's for your protection, it's yes. for your provision. It's not to keep you from anything, it's to open you up for more stuff. Yes. Because the more you obey his principles, the more he can trust you with. Amen. See, God already knew the life you would have, but he gave you the power to make the decision of how you'll go through it. See, if you got that right there, it just set your life free. God already knew, because he knows all things, the life you would have. But what he's waiting to do when he says test and try our hearts, it's not him testing you, it's you testing yourself to see how you go through the life that you've got to go through. Yeah. Who are the most successful people in the world? 99% of those most successful people are the people who've been through the toughest stuff. You can go have a good life and do good things and even great things, but when you've had the tough stuff and overcome the huge obstacles, you do the outstanding things. See, it's not a problem, it's an opportunity. Well, I wish I could be closer to God. Talk to him. Communicate with him. Learn about him. Know him. And you can. But it's a choice. Trust him. So we live by these principles, these laws. And he said, how could I do such a wicked thing? Now, last week I gave you Proverbs 29, 18. I gave it to you out of the voice translation. 
says, where there is no vision from God, the people run wild. Where there is no vision, no dream, no purpose from God, the people run wild. But those who adhere to God's instruction know genuine happiness. Happiness is based on what's happening, right? So if I want genuine or consistent happenings that bring joy or happiness to me, then I got to go by what God's instruction is. It can't just be me picking what I want and then not what I want. Anything going on in your life, you could go back and see somewhere. If you would have just listened to the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't have been in that situation. Now you can stay stressed, depressed over it, or you can say, wait a minute, God not only restores, but he restores sevenfold or seven times what I was. So you know what? I'm just going to walk into restoration. People work their whole life to do what? To become an overnight success. Their whole life. Colonel Sanders, Kentucky Fried Chicken, whoever, off his Social Security check, became a millionaire, right? So, so you, you work your whole life. People look at people and say, they're a great success at 30 or 50 or 70 or 80. They work their whole life to be a great success overnight. To everybody else, it's an overnight, but not to the person that walked through it. They could tell you every detail, every thought, everything about it. No one knows what it costs to be you, so get over it. Stop telling everybody how hard it is. It's so tough. Oh, my God. All you get around is other people that have it hard because you're the only ones that can tolerate each other. You're already depressed. You got to be around other depressed people. Anyone not depressed, they'll try to help you. If they can't help you, they try to get away from you. The truth. I don't know if you get that down the road, but that's what this preacher just tell you the truth. You know, you, you, you attract who you are. So if I'm a pessimistic person, I'm going to be around a bunch of angry, pessimistic people. If I'm a fun and exciting person, I'm going to be around fun and exciting people. Adventurers don't hang around with worry warts. Adventurers find other adventurers. Worry warts find other worry warts. Turkeys find other turkeys. Eagles find other eagles. You can fly like a bird or soar like an eagle. A bird's like... An eagle's a... your choice it's a law of attraction you attract what you are so if you're not happy then maybe there's a reason for that now let me wrap this up because I want to only got about seven or eight minutes I want to wrap this up with you let's see how's the best way to do this because there's a lot I want to do right here um Let's fill us in a little bit. We see the whole thing about Potiphar. Then Joseph gets thrown into prison, right? And I'm not going to go through the whole prison thing. But, uh, you know, while he's in prison, you would think he'd be suffering. But instead, he became in charge of the prison, the caretaker of the prison. The prison, the jailer could leave and Joseph's got it. Eventually, he had more dreams of Pharaoh's. He got to come out. And then Pharaoh, he had the dream about the seven years of drought and blessing. And then the seven years of drought. And so now they're doing that, and what's happening is they're living in a couple years into this success. He's put David, uh, he's put Joseph in charge of his whole nation now. He's the number one guy right under Pharaoh. He could speak life, death, provision, or poverty, whatever he wanted to do over anyone. And he's all these people now, drought's been out for two years around the world, and now everyone in the world's running out of food and they gotta come to Egypt because of the favor that was brought on Pharaoh, because of the favor he gave God's kid. So it's important who you connect with. So, so anyway, look at this now. So now we come to the place where David's, I mean, David, Joseph's family 
are starving. Jacob and his household are starving. And he says, look, the only place that's got food is Egypt. Now, they didn't know where Joseph went. They wouldn't know. It's 15 years later. He's a young boy, and now he's a man. And they're like, well, I guess we got to go to Egypt. So Jacob said, take food. Here's food. Here's money to buy food. Here's presents. Here's gifts. Go all that. They go. He said, but don't take Benjamin. That was Joseph's full brother, his baby brother. He said, because I've already lost Joseph. I don't want to lose Benjamin. You other 10 go. And so when they go to Egypt, what is interesting, um, let, me, let me get up here and do this. So when they go to Egypt and they come in front of Joseph, Joseph recognized who they were, but they didn't recognize him. And so therefore, when they didn't recognize Joseph, um, when they didn't recognize Joseph, he kind of played with them a little bit. He said this in verse three, uh, Genesis 45, verse three. Well, look at verse one. It said, then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out. Oh, that, that's later. I can't do that. Okay. So anyway, if I had time, I'd preach 42 and 43. I just don't have time to do that. But anyway, his brothers came. He kept one of his brothers and said, go back, tell your father to let the other one go. Long story. And it comes and it's amazing. You need to read it. I don't have time. But I'm going to take you to 45. So now it comes back to where Joseph saw him. He knew who they were. He could have killed them. He could have gotten revenge. He could have done whatever he wanted. But instead, he didn't. But God, why? Because he lived beyond the standards of the world and revenge and, and all that stuff. Even though it did hurt him and he had to deal with that emotion, that feelings. Now they are coming for the third time back and they're bringing Benjamin, which Jacob didn't want them to bring Benjamin because he's afraid what if this guy keeps Benjamin and now I've lost Benjamin and Joseph and so on. So now they all come back and Joseph sets them up now. He said, bring them to my house. I'll meet them at noon for dinner. Bring them to my house. So they come in, they wash themselves up, they have dinner. And then when they go home, Joseph, Joseph doesn't tell them who he is and so on. Then when they go home, he tricks them and puts a, a silver mug that was his and Benjamin, the youngest one's uh, backpack. And when he did that, uh, they came, busted him. They brought Benjamin back, kept him a prisoner. So anyway, now they go home to Jacob. Jacob's tore up. And now they got to come back to get Benjamin. So here we come to chapter 45, Genesis 45, verse 1. So Joseph now has been asking about his father and different ones. And it says, uh, verse 45, he's in his house now. And then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me, everyone out of the room. Uh, so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Verse 2, and he wept out loud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard Joseph weeping. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? Brothers, brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Dismayed, they were scared, you know what? Like this dude, if it's, we dead either way. Either he's tricking us again, or this is Joseph, and he's going to kill us. What are we going to say? Verse 4, and Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near him. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold in Egypt. They go, ooh, this probably is him then. Verse 5. 
But now, look at this, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. In other words, don't punish yourself because I could kill you right now and you're vulnerable. It says, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sowed me here, S-O-L-D, sowed me here into slavery for God sent me before you to preserve life. So David found meaning out of the pit, out of the palace, and out of the jail that it meant I'm going to bring life for God. That's right. Come on. See, see, the key is not are you in a pit. You're going to hit pits in your life. Yes. You're going to hit, you know, tough situations in your life. The key is what meaning do you come out of it with? Come on. Said, uh, said verse 6, for these two years the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years left, which will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity or a seed for you in the earth and save your lives by great deliverance. In other words, you tried to kill me, kind of like Jesus, right? Right. Crucified Jesus, but he was our seed of posterity. He was our deliverance. Joseph is a type and shadow of that here. Verse eight. So now it was not you who sent me here. See, they thought it was them. They were guilty over it, grieving. And if you read the other few chapters between this, it'll really open your eyes a lot. He said, it was not you who sent me here, but God. See, God knows what you're going through. The key is only you can decide how you go through it. You're the one that decides. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. Wow. Not only is Pharaoh the Pharaoh, and I'm under him, but I'm a father figure to Pharaoh. And the Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all of the land of Egypt. Verse 9, hurry, go back to my father and say to him, this says to your son Joseph, God has made me the Lord over all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. He said, bring all your families, everyone. He kissed them and he hugged them and uh, all that. And he cried when he hugged his baby brother Benjamin. But he sent him back to, to, to get his dad, Jacob. And he said, I'm going to let you live over here for five years, provide for you houses, food, everything. You don't have to worry about a thing and protect you. So he could have killed him. He could have punished him. He could have made him suffer. But see, the only way, what happens is when we live in a place of suffering, we, we become self-punishers. And when we're self-punishers, we punish others. So whatever's in you is going to get outside of you and it's going to touch those around you. So when you're a self-punisher, you become a punisher of others. When you're living in pain, you bring pain. You cause pain. And it's so important that wherever you're at in your life, you get the right meaning of why you're in your life and you turn that to bring deliverance to others. If you were through sexual abuse as a child or whatever, forgive those that did it, as hard as that is, but look, don't focus on those that did it. Focus on all those you can save from having that ever happen to them. Bring a meaning to it. Be a seed of deliverance, of provision. You know, someone physically abused you, you know, with, was hard on you, whatever, verbally, physically, and it scarred you. Okay, forgive them because that's what you can do, and that's God's principle and law. But how do I forgive them? I forgive them, but now I turn my focus on how I can help others not be beaten and punished like this, how I can bring... People that go through, you know, childcare systems and different things. People that's been through prison. If you take that meaning and change it and get it in line with God's law and God's meaning, you can live a fulfilled life. A fulfilled life. But it's up to you.